Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. I talk to people and then they say, well, I confessed and it didn't seem like it really worked. I still feel guilty. I still feel the burden. And, and I'm like, well, how exactly did you confess? Well, I told them that if, if she hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't have done that. Listen, that's not you confessing your sin, that's you confessing her sin. And if you find yourself doing that, hey, that's exactly what Adam did, isn't it? In today's broadcast, we take up where we left off yesterday with part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Lord's Prayer. We're now in Luke chapter 11 and we're gonna be looking at the first 13 verses. We left off yesterday in verse four. In this section of scripture, Jesus not only teaches his disciples and us how to pray, but also helps us understand the urgency and persistence our prayer lives need to have. So let's listen in. He also couples with this petition for bread daily, forgiveness daily. And, and if you don't realize that you need to pray daily for forgiveness, probably not as aware of your sin as you should be. I'm not thinking we need to go walking around head hanging low. I'm miserable. I'm horrible. I'm always sinning and word and thought and deed. No, I don't think that's his intention. But, but forgiveness is something we are in need of daily. And I've noticed that if I'm in the word or if I'm in prayer, I will find myself repenting and asking forgiveness, confessing my sin. It's impossible for me to read his word and not say, oh, Lord, what was I thinking? Or I know this already, Lord, you've taught me this, you've shown it to me. And, and here I am thinking like a fool again or, or speaking as a fool again. And, and Lord, forgive me those things. And so it can be as simple as that or for some of us, much more complicated. There are many hindrances to forgiveness, but, but you need to know God's promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's his promise to each and every one of us. That's his promise to us individually and corporately. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, I talk to people and then they say, well, I confessed and it didn't seem like it really worked. I still feel guilty. I still feel the burden. And, and I'm like, well, how exactly did you confess? Well, I told them that if, if she hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't have done that. Listen, that's not you confessing your sin. That's you confessing her sin. And if you find yourself doing that, Hey, that's exactly what Adam did, isn't it? After he ate what God told him not to eat, what God had forbidden to him, when God came and said, did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? He said, the woman. Not only does he blame her, then he says, you gave her to me. Later, he'll tell the kids, hey, we're not in the garden because mom ate us out of house and home, you know, and... but. But the reality is Adam knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived. Adam ate willingly and both of them were held accountable. Why? They sinned against God. They knew what they weren't to do and they did it anyway. And if we come and we confess his sin or her sin or their sin, but not our sin, of course, we're not going to find forgiveness for that. Some people justify or rationalize or well. They compare their sin with other sin. When we get to Luke 18, there's a story of a, the rich man or excuse me, the publican and the um, 
the, uh, or the Pharisee and the publican, excuse me, Pharisee and the tax collector. We call publicans now tax collectors. And what happens is the Pharisee goes up to pray and he says, I thank you, I'm not like other men. Or even like, you know, the extortioners or, or, or these other, or, or this tax collector. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like him. For I fast and I tithe and I, I, I. And, and, and it says that, that the, the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man, Jesus says, went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased and everyone who abases or humbles himself will be exalted. Those of us who are foolish enough to compare ourselves with one another, to say, well, my sins aren't nearly as bad as her sins or his sins or their sins. The question is, are you confessing your sins? Because if you do, if you'll call it what he calls it, and that's another issue that I see that a lot of people today, well, we use euphemisms for sin. We call it anything and everything but sin. But, you know, he doesn't say if you'll confess your indiscretion or if you'll confess your confusion. No, if you'll confess your sin. And I would suggest we should name the sin that, 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 that as we come to him, first of all, he already knows. But there's something freeing about saying, Lord, I lied. Not, I was confused, right? I wasn't completely accurate. Or, or, you know, there's so many ways to say it instead of just saying, I lied. Or, or, or I stole, or I didn't steal, but I coveted. That's acknowledging that we understand that it's what's going on inside that God's looking at and not just the act. Oh, adultery, no, you don't have to commit the sin. He says, if you look on a woman in order to lust after her. You've committed adultery in your heart. You don't have to murder someone to, to be a guilty sinner. He says, if you have hatred in your heart and it's unrepented, well, then you're guilty of that sin. So some, well, just don't see it and, and others just won't say it. I've been in prayer meetings where, where people said, if I've done anything to offend you, I'm like, if? You are kidding, right? I mean, if you've done anything just name it. You've done it. I know you've done it. Well, anyway, he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is another absolute essential. If we're going to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, listen, in heaven, we won't even need to ask for forgiveness. We will be perfected. We won't be tempted. We won't be tried. We'll never falter. We'll never stumble. We'll never fail. We'll be with him and like him. But between here and there, we have need to ask forgiveness. And we will have need to forgive one another. It's an absolute essential in prayer. I can't petition God to forgive me all my sins and then refuse to forgive people who sinned against me. And I've learned, and you've no doubt observed it as well, unforgiveness, bitterness, they're toxic. They, they devastate the individual who's unwilling to forgive, who, who harbors that bitterness. And it's self-destructive. It's defiling. And, and what's worse is it spills over. Let no root of bitterness spring up, he says, lest many be defiled. So when... I refuse to confess when I refuse to repent, when I refuse to forgive. Well, then I can begin to harbor things that that damage me further. 
and damage my relationship with the people closest to me. Here's another tragedy. Often when we fail to forgive, it's somebody who doesn't even know we're not going to forgive them. They're not being hurt by it. They're not damaged by it. There are people, I could almost guarantee you, there are people right here, right now in, in this auditorium that have things that, that happened to you that, that you just don't see how you could ever forgive. And, and it's possible that the person who did those things doesn't even, isn't even alive anymore. But you still harbor the hatred and bitterness. You can't go and say, hey, forgive me to them. But you can ask God to forgive you for hanging on to that. Why? It's not hurting the one who offended you or hurt you or abused you or neglected you or whatever they did to you. It's hurting you. And it's spilling over into the lives of the people you love most who are closest to you. So it's an essential, see. We ask his forgiveness. We forgive everyone who sinned against us. So if there is someone... And today, you're not just saying, Lord, if there's anything, but Lord, I need to forgive that person for those things, for those words or those actions. Or Lord, if you find yourself wanting to do it and then just saying, I just don't know how I can forgive them. Then you come and you say, Lord, enable me because he'll never command you to do something that he won't enable you to do. And he'll tell us how when we get to the end of this. Well, we also need his guidance and deliverance. So he says, pray, do not lead us into temptation. Now, James is very clear on this. God will never tempt us to sin. But God does test us and God will bring us into and through trials, according to James, to prove that our faith is genuine according to Peter to mature us and, and teach us and, and help us grow in patience. And, and so God won't tempt us when he tests us, by the way, he always tests us so that we can see we're the real deal. He doesn't need to test us if we're pretending or faking or we're frauds because in our heart of hearts, we'll know that. But if you and I were out prospecting and we found what we thought was gold and, and we got a bunch of it and we brought it and we had it tested, what would our hope be? Oh, let it be fool's gold. Let it be fool's gold. Of course not. We're testing it in the hopes that it will prove to be the real deal. And here's the good news. God isn't just hoping that you're the real deal. He knows if, if you call him father and that's real for you. If you've really submitted your life to him, you're truly born again of his spirit. He knows that and you know that. So the test that he brings you into, they're to actually mature and bless you. You remember when the children of Israel found themselves trapped between the Red Sea and, um, and between Pharaoh's armies. The Lord had led them to that spot. And did he do it to destroy him? Some of them thought so. They were pretty worried and confused. But what was God's intention? He wanted to show them that, listen, I can deal with the impossible. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. He opens the Red Sea. They pass through on dry land. And just to really make his point, when the enemy pursues, he closes up the sea and wipes them out. So, so not only does he give them freedom, but he destroys their enemies. They wouldn't have got to see either of those had the Lord not led them to that place of testing and trial. So when we say don't lead us into temptation, understand that doesn't mean there won't be trials. There won't be 
be, um, you know, a test, but, but we're going to pass those trials and we're going to grow through them and as a result of them. Well, deliver us from the evil one. This is something we definitely need. We need to know that the enemy's primary tactic is to use lies and distortion in order to keep people from a right relationship with God. If you've ever read the Screw Tape Letters, and I highly recommend them, uh, awesome book. It, it, it talks about the, the enemy's desire to keep us from God. And then once we come to God, it talks about his strategy to just keep us focused on anything and everything but God. But, but here's the deal. Satan's most effective weapon against us is deception, lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. So if we say deliver us from the evil one, the Lord is going to do that primarily through his word and by his spirit who always brings us back, who brings to our remembrance the things Jesus taught us. In John 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them, set them apart, Father, cleanse them by your word. Your word is truth. You're all familiar, of course, with Jesus promise if you continue in my word you'll be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when we pray don't lead us into temptation but do deliver us from the evil one. He's going to be pointing us to his word and that's how he's going to be keeping us from the lies of the enemy and protecting us from falling into the trap that others have fallen into. Well there's one more essential he adds this, this idea of persistence in prayer. Now, it's an interesting concept if you read ahead, and hopefully you have. I encourage you to always do that. You always know what's next because we're just working our way book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But we taught our kids, listen, if you ask for something, just ask and then don't bug us. Don't badger us. Just leave us alone. We'll tell you when we decide. But God actually takes another tact altogether. He says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Not that he wants us to use vain repetition. He warns us not to do that in Matthew. He says, he says you're not going to be heard for your much speaking, but what he's talking about is us persisting in prayer. And he gives us a little illustration of the importance of this. It's there in verse five. He says, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on the journey and I've nothing to set before him. Now we read the story and we're like, why didn't he just go down to Safeway? I mean, they're 24 hours. Why bug this poor guy? Well, they didn't have any Safeway. There wasn't any 24 hours. And, and so he's talking about something that in their culture would make total sense to all of them, those disciples and others who were listening in. A friend shows up. It's late at night. He needs bread. Hospitality, the law of hospitality says you have to meet these needs. And of course, he's your friend, so you should want to meet these needs. But verse 7 presents the problem. It says he'll answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Now, when he says my children are in bed with me, we can take that literally. Here's why. Most of the families in the first century in Israel lived in one room. I mean, that everything happened in that room. They cooked in it. They ate in it. They lived in it. They slept in it. At night, they would shut the doors. They would go on this raised up platform where the parents and the children would sleep. If they had animals, the animals would be brought in and they'd sleep in the house too. 
That's why they had those flat roofs. You had to have somewhere to go to have a little space and you could look up to the sky and pray to the Lord. But but the point is this. When he says, hey, the kids are in bed with me, it's going to disrupt the whole situation. I, I can't do it and I'm not going to do it. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. He's saying we need to not only ask God, but we need to continue to ask. And by the way, verse 9, ask, seek, and knock, all three present tense. What does that mean? It means that you're to ask and keep on asking. You know what you want. I would encourage you if you pray the way he suggested, as you see that, that he's your heavenly father, so you have a relationship, that he's in heaven, so he's all powerful and able to meet your every need. He's aware of your every need. If you can really say uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then you can say, Lord, here's what I think I need. Here's what I know I want. But Lord, your will be done. You know what's best for me. And, and so we ask because, well, it's what we're seeking. And then he says, if you ask, it will be given you. Again, some are going to say, I've been asking and I haven't gotten it. Well, James says, sometimes we ask or we have not because we ask not. Other times we ask and don't receive because we ask amiss that we can consume it on our lust. And let's face it, we're able to convince ourselves, Lord, I really need that Whatever it is, I would use it for good stuff, Lord. You know, I'd, I'd use it for you. Yeah, a boat. I need a boat, a big boat. I, I need it, Lord. And I take the youth group on it. If you just give me the big boat. And he's like, well, you have a little boat now. How many youth have you taken out? Well, there's not really room for them, Lord. And, and, and besides, you know, I like to fish and I like it to be quiet. And well, anyway, I could go a lot of places with this, but, but you get the point. If we're praying, this is what I want, and the Lord's saying, that's not what I want. That's not my will for you. He's saying, ask, and, and then if you're not receiving, seek. I think this makes sense. There's some progress here. If I'm not getting what I'm asking for, I should seek the will of God. I should say, Lord, is, is, it, is it, you know, that asking amiss thing? Is this not your will for my life? Is this not what you want? And I'm to keep on seeking him until he gives me an answer, because he says, Everyone who asks receives, receives what? What we ask for? No, what God wants us to have. And everyone who seeks finds. I'd suggest that if you're not getting, then you seek his will. And if you find this is his will, well, then it's going to work. And then he says knocking. You just keep on knocking the promises. It will be open to you. Now, now see the progression here. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. And he starts with a friend. And the friend's like, okay, you know, I don't want to, but I will. A bit of reluctance. And, and then he says in verse 11, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, and you do. You see, we go from the friend who's unwilling but will still give to the father who's certainly willing and will give the right thing, the best thing, the good and necessary thing. Then he argues to the greatest, from the, the less to the greater to the greatest. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, those of you more familiar with Matthew's 
you know, record of this particular prayer, you'll remember that he says, how much more will he give you those things you're asking for? Here, Luke reports it a little different. Some think they altered it. I think that Jesus, like we all do, if he had something important to teach, he taught it numerous times. It's, it's most likely that this is actually how he said it this time. But, but get this. He says, if you'll pray, if you'll, not, if you'll ask and seek and knock, if you'll keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And I'm looking back over the prayer and it's one of those things where I see it. The Holy Spirit, he is the answer to all of these needs, to all of these things we're praying. He is the one who reveals the Father to us. He is the one who testifies of the Father's holiness and perfection. He is the one, the Holy Spirit, who enables and empowers us to worship acceptably, to pray acceptably. He is the one who comforts us, having convicted us of our sin. And when we confess our sin, he comforts us and seals us until the day of redemption. He is the one who guides us, lest we be led into temptation. And he is the one who delivers us, the spirit of truth, who the world cannot see, but you see him because Jesus says he's with you and will be in you. Well, he says he'll give the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does for us what Jesus was doing for them. He's right here with us. And even if you've never committed your life to the Lord, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is alongside. He's with you and he's convicting you. He's trying to convince you that these things are true, that God wants you to have that intimate, close and personal relationship, that he wants you to know him as, as your heavenly father. That he wants you to be cleansed and forgiven and, and that he wants you to forgive others and he wants to enable and empower you to do that. That he wants his priorities to be your priorities. So if you've never opened your heart to him, you should do that today. If you've given your life to him, the Bible says he sealed you until the day of redemption. You belong to him. You will always belong to him. He will always be your heavenly father. I could no more disown my children, then, well, it just couldn't and wouldn't and will not ever happen. Nor will God disown his children. Does he discipline us? Oh yeah, I've been in the woodshed lots of times. I've been sent to my room and told not to come out of there until I have a better attitude. And certainly if we're that way with our kids, God is going to discipline us. It's the proof of his love. It's, a, it's the proof of our relationship with him. But all that to say this, there is one more relationship of the Holy Spirit that, that we're in need of. First, he's with us, then he's in us, and then he's upon us. The, the, the New Testament describes it in a variety of ways. It's him filling us or overflowing us or coming upon us. And in every case, it's empowerment to rightly represent him to one another and it brings us back. Our Father, we are the family of God. We are the children of God. We have a relationship with Him and a relationship to one another. And it's the work of the Spirit to take us from, from where we are to where we'll be. He takes His Word, plants it in our hearts, brings it to our remembrance, teaches us things to come, convicts us of our sin, comforts us when we confess, cleanses us. He continues the work that Jesus has begun. 
in discussing the passages about the friend coming at midnight and us asking, seeking, and knocking with my students in the past, I have often heard it said, oh, I don't want to bother the Lord or, or appear impatient. Well, first off, Jesus is telling us to do it. That, that should be enough. However, there is a verse for us to remember when it comes to this. Hebrews 4.14 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The therefore we read there is because our Lord was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. In other words, he gets us. But the other reason we are to be bold in our approach to the throne of grace is because Jesus died a horrible death on the cross so that you and I could do that very thing. We must not cheapen that by refusing to take advantage of what is given to us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.